Well, welcome to Safe Haven. My name is Troy Nicholson. Um, I'm one of the pastors here. And we've been going through the book of Exodus. It's been quite a journey as we've gone through it. I hope you've enjoyed our time through the book of Exodus. Um, today, we do hit more of the law. And hopefully, uh, as I said and pray, that the law will, will be something sweet to us today. And just as kind of a reminder, if you've not been to Safe Haven, let me kind of tell you what the law is, Exodus, I guess I should say, has really been all about. Um, it, it's been God rescuing a people. Um, he's done that. He, he's taken a group of people out of the land of Egypt. He's rescued them. There's been miracles. He's, he's redeemed them out of slavery. If you look at your handout on the front, um, you will see um, rescue from slavery to salvation. You can see it in the foyer. Um, everything that we've done has been to theme out what the book of Exodus really is all about. Um, so, so it's about God taking the people of Israel and, and, and leading them out and bringing them to salvation. So everything we've seen, be it teaching or miracles or all of it, is to morph these people not into just a group of people, but into a people. That's, that's humongous. If you want to know what the book of Exodus really is about, it's about God taking this group of people and making them a, capital A, a people. A distinct people, a distinct nation. And so he's done this. And, as you know, any time that you get a group of a people or the people in close proximity, um, there is bound to be issues that occur. Always comes about. If you need proof of this, just think to your Thanksgiving gatherings or your Christmas gatherings where old crazy Uncle Eddie shows up. You know there's always bound to be something that goes awry when a group of people get together. If, if that's not good enough for you, just track on up to that upper room back there uh, where we've got some elementary kids or go back there and go back into that upper room back there where we've got a bunch of three-year-olds and two-year-olds and one-year-olds gathered. Anytime you get a group of people together, chaos is bound to ensue. I'm sure right now as we gather in worship, kids are gathering to show ownership and tyrancy over a toy up in this area back here. It just is. It's the nature with people when we get together with people, um, even mission teams. I remember mission trip. You want to see the holy people of the Lord come absolutely unglued, get a group of about 20 men together, and try to pour and fashion concrete um, in Jamaica in 100-degree weather when nobody there really knows what they're doing anyway, but all 20 think that they're an expert on pouring concrete. Uh, you wanna, it, just, it just happens. Um, so when people get together, and, and, so we've reached the law. So what is the law about? Well, in a nutshell, it's God giving rules so that the people of God who He's just gathered together can get along. That's the point of the law. He's just showing them, I love you. And I've made you a family, and I don't want you to be a family who fights and strives, so I'm going to give you these things to help you see how, as a family, you can function together. It is the family crest, if you will. In other words, God's saying, these are the things that matter to me in our family. And hopefully we touched on that last week with the Ten Commandments as we went through those. Hopefully you see the Ten Commandments differently as we journey through that together. Um, But as you know, there's 613 more. So for those of you who weren't here last week, there are not just Ten Commandments. There's 613 commandments in the Old Testament. All of them 
pointing to love me and love one another, which Jesus summarized with, do you want to know what all the law is about? You shall love the Lord, your God, and love your neighbor as yourself. It all culminates with those two things. So we're going to go into a lot more today. I've I've entitled this section uh, Foreign Rules in a Familial God. And hopefully that gets you the point. So if you get lost today as we start going through some of these, just always bounce your eyes right back to the top. There's going to be some foreign rules as we go through the law that really we don't have um, a situation in life that really kind of hones us in on a lot of these. But some of them are kind of similar to some of the things that we experience today. But what we're going to see through all of them is the same familial God who was gathering the nation of Israel to love them, who's gathering us to love us. And we're going to see all these things pan out. we got a long way to go and a short time to get there. Um, I'm actually going to read all these today because I think they're important to hear out loud. This is part of the text to where when you're going through... At the beginning of the year in January, when you kick off your I'm going to read through the Bible, right? This is one of those that typically derails that train. You start getting to them and go, I don't know what that is out. (laughs) I'm out. I'm jumping ship, all right? But we're going to go through it today. I'm just going to give some commentary as we go through. And again, Lord, please take this text and speak beyond the voice of a mortal man. Here we go. Chapter 20, verse 22. The Word of God. The Word of God. The divinely inspired Word of God, even in the law, for the people of God. Exodus chapter 20, verse 22, And the Lord said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the people of Israel, You've seen for yourselves that I've talked with you from heaven. So you shall not make gods of silver to be with me, nor shall you make for yourselves gods of gold. An altar of earth you shall make for me, and sacrifices on it, your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen. In every place where I cause my name to be remembered, I will come to you and I'll bless you. If you make me an altar of stone, you shall not build it of hewn stones. For if you wield your tool on it, you profane it. And you shall not go up by steps to my altar, that your nakedness be not exposed on it. So right off the bat, he says, I want you to get together so there's some expectations I have for you to abide by when you come to worship. These expectations, rules of worship, if you will. And I could summarize everything that he just said there, if you didn't catch it, by this. Listen, I'm the God who talked to you from heaven. Like, I've verbally talked to you. I'm, I'm that type person of God. So therefore, the one who talked to you from heaven, don't you dare try to box me into an image made of gold. Don't you dare try to talk to the, the God of heaven who speaks to you with something carved out of silver. That, that demeans me. And, as a matter of fact, when you make your altars, your altars shall only be made of earth. Now, why would he say that? Why would he not go, when you make an altar, but I want you to get that thing, I want you to carve it, I want you to shine it up, and I want you to make it all pretty, and all that kind of stuff. Here's why. Because those who do that and shine it up at the end of the day, build that altar and look back and they go, what? (laughs) I've built a pretty altar for you, Lord, haven't I? Right? He says, don't even do that. When you come before me and you're going to build an altar, you just take rocks. And you remember that I provided even everything you need to build my altar. 
Just give me rocks. That's what I want because that points to me, the God who provides even the rocks to build the altar. Use these stones that I provide. And notice that phrase that he said, and I want you to do this in every place, that's key, where I meet with you, every place. In other words, I'm moving. I'm everywhere. Don't you think that I reside in temples built by human hands? I reside everywhere. So everywhere that I show up, every place that you go to and you encounter me there, make it an altar because I'm everywhere. You can't box me into... Hey, look. As spiritual nomads who have roamed around Tuscaloosa for 12 years in three different, four different locations, right? We are very proud of our 3,600 square feet space right here, right? It's incredible. It's amazing what the Lord has given us in this place, right? But don't you dare make this your object of worship rather than the God above. That's what he's saying. Don't you, don't you dare do this. In other words, posture yourself for purity even when you approach me. Don't you dare defile me. And in that culture, again, we, we don't really have this. Um, every Sunday as I leave that chair right over there to come up here, I am begging the Lord every single step, all four of our giant steps. <laughs> I'm begging the Lord, Lord, you've got to speak, because if you don't speak, then everything we've done is in vain. God, you've got to do something through this text, because I can't make any sense of it. And he says, even when you do that, treat that as holy. Don't just come exposed before me. Approach me in a different way than you approach everything else. Think of me as different, so don't even expose yourself with your robe. So in other words, this, God's saying, I don't live in one spot, I can't be contained with what you've built, and the focus is on me always and not that spot. And when you do that together, you'll be in right relationship with one another. Because the relationship won't be with your person right or left, or across the aisle, or whatever. The focus will be me, and that will ultimately bring joy. Uh, Our family has a crazy little quirk. And over the years, I guess you've come to know, we have quite a few crazy little quirks (laughs) in our family. Um, One of those quirks being when we approach a state line. Uh, When we're driving across state lines, there's one thing that we always do, and that is... That's right. You pick your feet up. you got to pick your feet up when you cross. Anybody else have that crazy quirk in your family? Oh, boy, not a one. <laughs> okay, just go ahead and admit us straight up into North Harbor, <laughs> where we need to be anyway. But nonetheless, when we approach a state line, hopefully somebody will adopt that in your family. When we approach a state line, somebody screams out, state line's coming up, pick your feet up, pick, and everybody picks their feet up, and we just kind of coast across it, and then we put it down. Now, here's the deal. As we're approaching the state line, you can hear somebody in the car go, there's the sign, it's coming up, and everybody's focus turns on that sign. And so we, we drive towards it, and our, and our focus comes intent, and, and we get really zoned in, and it's like a party in the car, and we turn, you know, what? oh, here we go, here we go. And then we go across it, boom, and then all of a sudden, nothing else happens. It's lost. And the further and further we get away from it, we don't even remember it anymore. We don't remember what we had just focused on. And I think that's what he's saying. Don't ever, as the family of God, approach a worship service in that place with those stones and go, as we get closer, 
I'm preparing to worship. I'm preparing to worship. I'm preparing to worship. And then you get there, and then you walk out the door and go, I don't even know what just happened. He says, every day, as the people of God, if we're going to be in right relationship, every day is worship. Every single moment. We don't approach it, lift our feet, go across it, and then forget about it. Every day is the Sabbath day for the people of the Lord. So it says, hone in on this. In other words... I think what God's saying is delighting in my personal presence is more important than delighting in an earthly palace. Wherever I meet you is where I am, and where I am is in and of itself a holy altar. I think that's the point. That's what he's getting for us. So he gives them these rules about worship, then he continues on. And then he gives us these rules about slaves. So he goes from altars into slaves. Again, foreign rules... But a familial God, let's look at this, verse, chapter 21, verse 1. Now these are the rules that you shall set before them. When you buy a Hebrew slave, he shall serve six years. And in the seventh year, he shall go out free for nothing. If he comes in single, he shall go out single. If he comes in married, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master gives him a wife and she bears him some sons and daughters, the wife and her children will be her masters and he shall go out alone. But if the slave plainly says... I love my master, my wife, and my children. I will not go out free. Then his master shall bring him to God, and he shall bring him to the door of the doorpost, and the master shall bore through his ear with an owl, and he shall be his slave forever. When a man sells his daughter as a slave, she shall not go out as the male slaves do. If she does not please her master, he who has designated her for himself, and he shall let her be redeemed. He shall have no right to sell her to a foreign people since he has broken faith with her. If he designates her for his son, he shall... uh, If if he designates her for his son, he shall deal with her as a daughter. If he takes another wife to himself, he shall not diminish her food, her clothing, her marital rights. And if he does not do these three things for her, she shall go out for nothing without payment or any money. This is kind of odd for us. We're going to talk about slavery today, right here in Northport, Alabama. There's... I think we come with a cultural context to this, and because of our cultural context, we don't even understand the point of what's going on in this text, and we miss it. So let's see what God's trying to do again for His family. Number one, this is not about race, and this is not racially motivated. When we think of slavery, we instantly go race and racially motivated. That has nothing to do with this text whatsoever. In other words... The people who take this passage and go, see, the Bible promotes slavery. No, it does not. That's not what's going on in this text. This is not about ownership in any way, shape, form, or fashion. This is working relationships and it's indentured servitude. So what would happen is there would be people who would come to other people and go, hey, you've got a lot of money and you've got a business and so I will work for you if you provide the means necessary for me to provide for my family. It sounds a lot like employment. (laughs) Sounds a lot like a job. It would do you better to read this text thinking about your current job and you are the slave (laughs) than for you to come to this text and go, oh, this is talking about slavery. It's, 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 it's It's totally culturally different. It's what's going on in this text. So in other words... I'll work for you if you provide for my family. So in this, basically he's saying if you want to be in a right relationship who loves one another as family, then be Ruth and Naomi. 
Ruth and Naomi fit this category perfectly. This is exactly what's going on with Ruth and Naomi. She could leave. She doesn't have any ties to the family. She says, no, no, no. Where you go, I'm going to go. Your God's going to be my God. I've worked for you. I've worked with you. I love you. And I want to stay in this family. I want to be here. I want to be a part. That's what's going on in this text. And so it's really the first century workplace, if you will. And I think the point of all this is employers and employees should value one another. That's what we can take away. Is he's going, if we're going to be the people of God, then if you're in this room and you're an employer, you should value people. And if you're an employee, you should value people. It's not just a position. It's not just a way to make money. For us to live life together, it's a way that we love one another through working well together. Godward family members should respect one another even in a system of cultural imbalances. In other words, if you want to be the people of God... Be humane. Be humane. Like you could boil it all down to that. If we're going to be Christians, nobody overlords over the other. We're just humane with one another. Why? Because everyone as an image bearer matters to the Lord. So if it matters to the Lord, then they should matter to us. So this is what's going on. So he says, listen... As the people of God, there's some expectations about how you work and how you lead as a worker and how you lead as uh, someone who oversees workers. It all matters. And then he goes on and he spills out more into this now a justice system. I'm going to give you expectations of a justice system. It's going to get wilder as we go. Chapter 21, verse 12. As the people of God, whoever strikes a man so that he dies shall be put to death. But if he did not lie in wait for him... But God let him fall into his hand, then I will appoint for you a place to which you may flee. But if a man willfully attacks another to kill him by cunning, you shall take him from my altar that he may die. In other words, he says, for the people of God, there's got to be a distinction between premeditated murder and accidental killing. There is a distinction there. And he lays it out clearly right here. He says, for this premeditated murder, there's a far more serious punishment. For something that's accidental, there's a far less serious punishment. And so this is where our society, we see some of this even play into our judicial system, don't we? And in our judicial system, I would argue, is built on Judeo-Christian principles. And as a nation who's built on Judeo-Christian principles, I would argue that's the only reason we've sustained the way that we've sustained. We followed God's pattern, even in our justice system of less punishment and more punishment, even for the same outcome. And what we see is God blessing that. And he says, this is what holds you together. Even in punishment, be a people of character who are just in your punishment. Don't just wildly do whatever you want to do, but I'm starting to get ahead of myself. Let's keep going. Verse 15. Whoever strikes his father or mother shall be put to death. Whoever steals a man and sells him, and anyone found in possession of him shall be put to death. I, I had thought about stealing somebody today, but I'm not going to now after that passage. Whoever curses his father or mother shall be put to death. In other words, a people of God should have respectful hearts. Disrespectful hearts cultivate disrespectful culture. And what God's saying is, as the people of God... With a person that's just rotely disrespectful, that is imperative, striking, constantly striking his father and mother, root out that attitude. Root it out. 
Someone who is cursing his father and mother, it's just this disrespect. I guess this is maybe a way we could look at it. God's saying this. A lot of times in societies, we go, okay, well, that's the big thing that they did. They had a, uh, a car wreck. And so we look at the outcome. Boom. We really got to fix those car wrecks. Okay, or um, we've got murder going on. So let's go fix the murder. And what God's saying is, don't just go straight to the car wreck and go straight to the murder. Back that sucker up and see what kind of heart is cultivating that response and root out that. Work from the inside first. Work from the heart. Because if you fix the heart, you'll fix what? The outcome. You'll fix the big thing. But if you go try to fix the big things, you'll slap a bunch of people in jail, but you'll still have a lot of heart issues, which will cultivate the big things again. You get it? So he says, listen, if you see somebody that's striking their father and mother, go get their heart, get them out. Because they will cause the whole lump to be rotten. So it's a disrespect issue here. So start with the heart because that leads to outward disorder. That is a great segue to remind you. There's an event happening here tonight. Shepherding a child's heart by Ted Tripp videocast. I don't care if you're a grandchild, uh, I mean a a grandparent, uh, or grandchildren, you can come too. Um, If you're a parent, if you want to be a parent, if you want to be a parent, if if you have seen a parent in your life, You need to be here to to hear this because this is where Ted Tripp is going with the whole parenting conference. So be here for that. Verse 18. And when men quarrel and one strikes another with a stone or with a fist and the man does not die but takes to his bed, then if the man rises again and walks outdoors with his staff, he who struck him shall be clear. Only he shall pay for the loss of his time and shall have him thoroughly healed. When a man strikes his slave, male or female, with a rod and the slave dies under his hand, he shall be avenged. But if the slave survives a day or two, he shifts not to be avenged. The slave is his money. So we're not going to get in more on this in a second. But again, those in positions of power are not allowed to just run reckless without restraint. There's two ways to look at the law and the commandments. One way to look at it is God is a cosmic killjoy going, you can do and you can't do and rawr. Or you can look at it as God going, this is my love. We, don't have, we can't have, as a, the people of God, a people who can just run reckless and do whatever they want to do because they're the person in power. So this is not him going, er, this is him pulling the strings back and going, those of you who think you have power over people, you don't. There's restraint for you. You can't just go kill and strike and do whatever you want. It's, him, it's His grace. The commandments are His love. He's putting order in place that you just can't run rampant and do whatever, quite literally, the H-E double hockey sticks that you want to do. That's the point. So, he keeps going in the justice system. Verse 22, When men strive together and hit a pregnant woman, so that her children come out, but there is no harm. So we get this premature birth because of this fight. The one who hit her shall surely be fined, and the woman's husband shall impose on him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. But if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life, 
Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. Just out of curiosity's sake, how many of you guys recognize that the old phrase we throw out all the time, eye for eye, actually the context is a woman who's in a fight giving birth? Anyone? That's where this comes from. That's why you cannot cherry-pick verses out of the Bible. Do not cherry-pick... Now I'm banging a table. There's my Southern Baptist roots coming out. <laughs> right? Do not cherry-pick the Scriptures. This is where this comes from. When a man strikes the eye of his slave, male or female, and destroys it, he shall let the slave go free because of his eye. If he knocks out the tooth of his slave, male or female, he shall let the slave go free because of his tooth. In other words... God desires His children to value one another's lives as yourself. That's the point of eye for eye and tooth for tooth. Value them. It's proportionate restraint. The commandments of the the Lord our God is restraint. It's good. It's order. It brings about non-chaos. How could that bring about non-chaos? Here's how. Oh, this is going to be fun. Like, I really am excited about this part right here. How many of you, growing up, heard something like this? Well, buddy, if you're on the playground and somebody pushes you, then you turn around and knock their teeth out. Knock their teeth out. Oh, boy. How many of you guys heard that? Oh, come on. How many of you heard it? Be honest, how many of you have said it? Uh-huh. Like no age, like yeah, I was just, like you did your hand like this. I don't lie before the Lord, but that's the point. The point of eye for eye is not to be hardcore rogue and go. If they knocked, we're gonna go knock some teeth out. I'm gonna punch you. The point is, if your tooth gets knocked out, the only thing that you can take is one singular tooth. You're knocking people's teeth out. If you get pushed, knock their teeth out. It's a direct violation of eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Do you see what I'm saying? The commandments are actually restraint. As the people of God, be a people who are marked by restraint and not just reckless living to do whatever you want to do. Or More importantly, whatever makes you feel good or makes you the baddest brother on the block. Show restraint. Humility. Right? That's why pawpaws need to read the Bible more. (laughs) And parents need to read the Bible more. Me growing up, me and my brother had gotten a fight. He was older than me. And we got... it, It was... Counseling time. My brother tortured me. <laughs> he was older, he was stronger, he was bigger, and all that kind of stuff. And now, I'm bigger and stronger than him, but we're 46 and 50, and you just can't get back at somebody at 46 and 50. It's like, you know, it's like, ah, my time is over. You know what I mean? But I'll never forget this. We were in a fight one time, and my, parent, my parents came in, they broke it up, and and we were headed to Red Mountain Museum to go to have a... We were headed out to have a family fun day. 
And we got a fight right before. And I'm just livid. And hey, he's, I mean, he's choked me out and I've tapped out. He's given me a wedgie and ripped my underwear and you know, all the things. And, uh, and so I'm furious. And my mom goes in and I was, she's like, what is going on? And I was like, he hit me. And she goes, I've had it. I've had it with all of you. Cole, uh, I'll say Cole. <laughs> Mark, turn around. And he was like, what am I turning around for? Your brother is going to get to hit you back, in the back. And I was like, yes! And so, man, I reared up with everything that I had, and I was a wee little guy. I mean, in 10th grade, I was 103 pounds, 5 foot 2. That is no joke. Little bitty, 10th grade. Now, man, I reared back, and I gave it everything that I had. All 102 pounds, coming up. <laughs> man, I laid into his back. Boom! And then he was just like, oh, it's okay. You know, and so he kind of walks on, and then... We go get in the van in our custom with the van with the high top and whatever. So we're, we're, we're driving down the road and I start crying and I'm bawling. And, and my mom goes, what is going on? And I'm like, you got to hit him back. You got your vengeance. It's equal. It's equal. And I was like, yeah. He's like, but she's like, but you should feel good now. And I was like, I don't. And she goes, well, why? And I said, because I think I broke my hand. <laughs> and lo and behold, we bypass Red Mountain. We go to UAB, get x-rays, and I have broken my bone in my hand. <laughs> and the Lord's saying, have restraint. As the people of God who've been given great grace, be a people of great grace. The way that we are impacted by God should necessarily impact our outflow to others. I'm not, do not hear me going, there should be no just punishment system. I'm just telling you, this is what the text is saying. Have restraint. You can't just knock your brother's teeth out because you got a noogie. And so in this moment, Christ is even going to point to a more restraint when we get to the New Testament, and you know what our Lord and Savior says, right? You've heard eye for eye, tooth for tooth. But I tell you, if somebody strikes you on the cheek, hey, it works better to be a church who talks to each other. If somebody strikes you on the cheek, turn the other one. He takes it deeper to the heart, doesn't he? Let's keep going. Foreign rules, familial God. Expectations about restitution. I've got a lot to read here. When a man opens a pit or when a man digs a pit and does not cover it and an ox or donkey falls into it, the owner of the pit shall make restoration. He shall give money to its owner and the dead beast shall be his. When one man's ox butts another so that it dies, then they shall sell the live ox and share its price and the dead beast also they shall share. Or, if it is known that the ox has been accustomed to gore in the past and its owner has not kept it in, he shall repay ox for ox, and the dead beast shall be his. If a man steals an ox or a sheep or kills it or sells it, he shall repay five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. (laughs) At that point, it starts sounding kind of like Dr. Seuss. I'm getting lost in the text. Um, Or or the comedian that talks about oxen, boxen, foxen. Verse 2, if a thief is found breaking in and is struck so that he dies, there shall be no blood guilt for him. But if the sun has risen on him, there shall be blood guilt for him. He shall surely pay. If he has nothing, then he shall be sold for his theft. 
If the stolen beast is found alive in possession, whether it's an ox or donkey or sheep, he shall pay double. If a man causes a field or vineyard to be grazed over or lets his beast loosen, it feeds in another man's fields, he shall make restitution from the beast in his own field and his own vineyard. If fire breaks out and catches in thorns so that the stacked grain or the standing grain or the field is consumed, he who started the fire shall make full restitution. Verse 7, If a man gives to his neighbor money or goods to keep safe, And if it's stolen from the man's house, then if the thief is found, he shall pay double. If the thief is not found, the owner of the house shall come near to God to show whether or not he has put his hand to his neighbor's property. For every breach of trust, whether it's for an ox, for a donkey, sheep, cloak, or any kind of lost thing, of one which says, this is it... The case of both parties shall come before the Lord. The one whom God condemns shall pay double to his neighbor. If a man gives to his neighbor a donkey or an ox or sheep or a beast to keep safe, and it dies or is injured or driven away without anyone seeing it, an oath by the Lord shall be between both of them to see whether or not he has put his hand to his neighbor's property. The owner shall accept the oath, and he shall not make restitution. But if if it is stolen from him, he shall make restitution to its owner." If it is torn by beasts, let him bring it as evidence. He shall not make restitution for what has been torn. If a man borrows anything of his neighbor, and it is injured or dies, the owner not being with it, he shall make full restitution. If the owner was with it, he shall not make restitution. If it was hired, it came for its hiring fee. All of this, what's God doing in restitution? Here's what he's saying. Both owning things and borrowing things are common graces from the Lord and how we own things and borrow things as the people of God should be marked with integrity. That's that's the bottom line. If you borrow somebody's weed eater, you shall treat said weed eater with respect and integrity. If you lose the weed eater, you replace the weed eater. If you're working together... And, and the owner is with you, and he tells you to take the weed eater and go over there and, and trim some rocks with it. And you go, hey, I don't think that's a good idea. And he goes, no, no, go trim the rocks. And you go trim the rocks, and it breaks. Then the owner should take care of the weed eater. All of this is so simple. Here's what he's saying. As the people of God, hey, just do what's right. Just do what's right. Don't be a conniving people. And we get so lost in, well, I don't have oxen, boxen, foxen, goats, donkeys. I don't, I don't have those things, so this is not speaking to me. But it is speaking to you. It's the Lord going, common grace stuff is important. And the Lord lets us use it, but use it as the people of God who respect the Lord who has given it. That's the whole point of this text. Stuff is a, a good gift. Stuff matters. But stuff should never be our joy and value. People over stuff always. If you need to make restitution, make restitution. If it's broken, fix it. If it's stolen, in other words, tools and how we handle them teach us a lot about how we handle the living God who we claim to love. Stuff matters is the point. Um, this a couple of weeks ago, I don't want to spend too long on this, but a couple of weeks ago, might have been last week, two of my children... Um, began arguing over who got to take which car to said location. And this was uttered out of one of my children's mouth, um, and I almost dug a pit and put them in there. Um, You can't take that car because that's my car. 
My car. Let me say that again. My car. That's when dad had to step in. Number one, which one of y'all has paid a dime for anything in the car? Number two, who put the gas in the car? At this point, I'm getting furious, all right? Who pays the insurance for the car? And what gracious uncle made the car even available? So I'm livid. It's not your car. And the whole point is this. The Lord has given us gracious, great gifts. But they're all just gifts. And they all belong to Him anyway. So treat it all with respect. Whether you own it, whether you're borrowing it, whether you've lended it or not. Treat each other with respect. Uh, All this to say, trust is the linchpin that holds any relationship together or society. So handle one another's stuff in a way that makes you grow closer and not grow away from one another. This is mine. This is the Lord's. He's let you borrow it. Steward it well. And when you borrow it from someone else, steward it well. Trust one another. Don't break trust with one another in society. Can you imagine throwing a party at your house and having to be worried about whether or not somebody was stealing your silverware? That would be a bizarre theft. Maybe jewelry is more adequate. Like you're having a party and you're worried that everyone there could possibly be stealing your jewelry and your silverware. Right? That wouldn't be a fun society at all. The laws of the Lord are to give us joy. Restraint, protection, so that you can have a party and have the people of God amongst you and not have to worry whether Todd Blue is going to steal another one of my forks. I caught you stealing another fork, buddy. No, no, it's, it's societal joy. That's the point. I hope you're seeing that already. God is not a cosmic killjoy, He's a God of joy, even in restitution. And then expectations about everyday life as we draw closer to wrapping this up. 22.16, If a man seduces a virgin who's not betrothed and lies with her, he shall give the bride price for her and make her his wife. If her father utterly refuses to give her to him, he shall pay money equal to the bride price for virgins. In other words, as the people of God, purity matters. And the reason that purity matters is because it affects the lives of everybody involved. You can't just see a lady and go, oh, she's a virgin, like Lot did with his daughter. Y'all remember that? The men come to have relations with the angels, and Lot, the beloved of the Lord, goes, take my, take my daughter. She's just property. And the law says, no, no, she's not just property. To me, she's not just property, the Lord says. She's not just property. Everything matters. And if things occur in this life, you've got to realize that she's being affected not just physically, but emotionally as well. And her physicality and her emotion matters to me, the Lord says. You can't just do whatever you want like she's a commodity. It's a beautiful picture here. Not only that, verse 18, You shall not permit a sorceress to live, and whoever lies with an animal shall be put to death. And whoever sacrifices to any God other than the Lord alone shall be devoted to destruction. 
what a crazy passage, and it starts talking about occultic practices and all kinds of things that are going on and vile things. And, and we look at this and go, ah, oh, we're not really there in society. Mm-hmm. We better be careful. Society has embraced bestiality before. It was actually a part of temple worship in some societies. And here was the argument that was used. I'm just going to throw this out there. But it's just a natural craving that I have to be with that animal. It was born in me. We have all kind of cravings, guys. And as believers, the Lord's saying, you put to death your cravings that don't align with what I've designed. That's what the text is saying. This is for your good. But God, I have this craving. If we all went out and did everything we're craving to do, you would have absolute anarchy that erupts right here from Northport, Alabama. And God's saying, this is not how I've designed us to live. You put to death your cravings to come in line with what I've designed. Because He loves us, not because He's a cosmic killjoy. 21, you shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him. For you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry and my my wrath will burn. And I will kill you with the sword, and your wives shall become widows, and your children fatherless. If you lend money to any of my people who, uh, with you who is poor, you shall not be like a money lender to him, and you shall not exact interest from him. If you ever take your neighbor's cloak and pledge, you shall return it to him before the sun goes down. For that's his only covering, and it's his cloak for his body. In what else shall he sleep? And if he cries to me, I will hear him, for I am compassionate. And because I'm compassionate, you be compassionate. And you modeling my compassion will create a society that is my people who will love one another well and be in unity with one another. Be compassionate, is what he's saying. This passage is not pro-build the wall. This passage is not pro-tear down the wall. It's not either one of them. That's not the point of the... You can't take this passage and go, see, we should build a wall, or, or see, we should not build a wall. The point is, when you find yourself in a situation where an immigrant is before you, then you treat them with compassion and love and provide them because God has done the exact same for you. That's the point. When they're on your doorstep, you don't go, well, I'm a pro-wall person. What you do is go, come on in, let's eat. You can have my shower, you can have my clothes, I'll provide for you and I will love you. That's the point here. When you find yourself in this situation, you be compassionate because the Lord is compassionate. Verse 28, And you shall not revile God nor curse a ruler of your people. The way that you respond to authority says something about you. Expectations about every life continue. Verse 29, You shall not delay to offer from the fullness of your harvest and from the outflow of your presses. The firstborn of your sons you shall give to me. You shall do the same with your oxen, with your sheep. Seven days it shall be with its mother. On the eighth day you shall give it to me. You shall be consecrated to me. Therefore, you shall not eat any flesh that's torn by beasts in the fields. You shall throw it to the dogs. In other words, the way that you live out a life of consecration says something, church. If we're going to be people who love well, the way that we live out what we claim to believe on Sundays says something about us. Consecration. In other words, life 
and religion is not and cannot be separated. You cannot separate the two. They fit together. You can't shelve it. Monday, I'm a steel worker. Tuesday, I'm a ballpark coach. Wednesday, I do this. And Sunday, I'm the church lady. You can't can't shelve it. It's all consecrated. And we model that 24-7 is the point here. Verse 1 of chapter 23. You shall not spread a false report. You shall not join hands with a wicked man to be malicious witness. You shall not fall in with the many to do evil, nor shall you bear witness in a lawsuit, siding with the many so as to pervert justice. Nor shall you be partial to a poor man in his lawsuit. If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, you shall bring it back to him. I need to change all those to just weed eaters. That'll help us. If you meet your enemy's weed eater or his chainsaw going astray, now that doesn't even make sense. Let's go back to ox and donkey. You shall bring it back to him. If you see the donkey of one who hates you lying uh, down under its burden, you shall refrain from leaving him with it. You shall rescue it with him. Did you catch that? Your enemy's donkey. Your enemy. You shall rescue the donkey with your enemy. You don't go, that's my enemy. I'm glad his donkey is in the pit. Right? You see their car broke down. That's the person I've been at alts with. Ha ha! I'm glad they got the tire. They got the nail in their tire. You just kind of give them the honk on the way by. You can't do that. Not as the people of God. You treat even your enemy with respect. And he goes on to say this. You shall not pervert the justice due to your poor in his lawsuit, keeping far from a false charge, and do not kill the innocent and righteous, for I will not, uh, for I will not acquit the wicked. And you shall take no bribe, for a bribe blinds the clear-sighted and subverts the cause of those who are in the right. You shall not suppress uh, or oppress a sojourner. You know the heart of a sojourner, for you once were sojourners in the land of Egypt. In other words, the way you live out partiality and impartiality says something about you as the people of God. More, more applicable. I know, we're getting, I know we've ran over time. It's a lot of the text here we're going through. Thank you for hanging in there. But I think I need to speak to this. Social media. Right? You see something on social media? Right? And if there was something stronger than a dislike button, you'd love to tap it. Because your enemy that you've been at alts with has something happened bad in their life, and they post it. And then you get that giddy little joy... Finally, justice is caught up and they deserve that. The Lord says, "Mm, careful, careful. The Lord has been compassionate with you. You be compassionate with others. Don't the commandments look different when you see the restraint? Speak the truth. You don't lie to help the poor. That's the flip side. You don't go, well, the poor, they need this, so I'm going to... You don't lie to help them. But you also don't lie to help the rich. It's, it's a tit for tat. And we're a pendulum culture. I'm a liberal, I don't care, I'll do whatever. I'm a right wing, this is... Fox, CNN, we're so divided. 
And the Lord goes, stop. Come back to the gospel. Live out the gospel with one another. On both sides of the pendulum. Don't not speak truth. Always speak truth. Because the truth will ultimately set you free. Even when it's harsh. And then finally, the last passage. Chapter uh, 23, verse 10. For six years you shall sow the land and gather in its yield. But the seventh year you shall let it rest and lie fallow. For the poor of your people may eat. And what they leave the beast of your field may eat. You shall do likewise with your vineyard and with your olive orchard. Six days you shall do your work, but on the seventh day you shall rest, that your ox and your donkey may rest, and the son and your servant women and the alien may be refreshed. Pay attention to all that I've said to you, and make no mention of the names of other gods, nor let it be heard on your lips. Three times in the years you shall keep a feast to me. You shall keep the feast of unleavened bread, as I commanded you. You shall keep the unleavened bread for seven days at the appointed time in the month of Abib. For in it you shall come out of Egypt, Um, uh, None shall appear before me empty-handed. You shall keep the feast of harvest of the first fruits of your labor, of what you sow in the field. You shall keep the feast of the end gathering at the end of the year. When you gather in from the field the fruit of your labor three times in the year, shall all your males appear before the Lord your God. You shall not offer the blood um, of my sacrifice with anything unleavened, um, or let the fat of my feast remain until morning. The best of the first fruits of your grain you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God, and you shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. Whew. That's a lot. You made it through three chapters today of the text. Praise the Lord that we've gone through that. In other words, the way that you live out as the people of God, the Sabbath and compassion says something about you. The way that you live it out, which kind of ties into what we've just gone before. God cares about compassion, and how you treat animals says something about you. I love it that he ends this whole section with, it seems so odd, right? You should not boil a goat, young goat in its mother's milk. That seems so bizarre. But what a more fitting way to end the whole thing. You want to know what it looks like to be a people of God? How bizarre is it that you take the milk out of a mother calf and boil its own young in it? Just don't do that. It's just disrespectful. That's no, that shows no compassion. He says, don't even do that. If you can't understand any of the other stuff, don't be that guy. Right? Don't be the person who kills kittens. If you are, you need to hear this, okay? You're a psycho. You're in, in the most loving Christian way I can tell you that. If that's you, you're psychotic. Don't be that guy. All the people who were put in prison, some of you have tracked this study, they study back to the way that they treated animals as children. Even treat animals with respect. Let this be your mantra. The way that we love God and love others is inseparable. And a worshipful respect for the Lord will always prove out in earthly respect for His creation. And this is where Peter gets it right. This is where Peter gets it right we got to be okay with saying that. There's some crazy thing that Peter goes very far in and can become, I would argue, worship. Worship of the creation rather than the creator definitely can go too far. But the heartbeat at the beginning is right. I value that animal. I value that life. And God's saying, as, as God's people... We are instructed to be a part of creation care. We are. The way that we treat creation matters. 
We don't just drive around throwing trash out of our car window. We don't just um, rape and pillage the land just for our benefit. We don't. We take care of it. We don't go into the lake and just start tossing bottles out. Every- we take care of God's creation. That's our job. And you can see that even in this text because that says something about what we believe is worship in our lifestyles, especially to the God whose altar we have come to everywhere. Let's wrap it up. The way that you care about your dog matters. The way that you care about your cat matters. The way that you care about that hamster that nobody's paying attention to matters. It all matters. And so... We live out rest. We let the land rest. We let our family rest. We value Sabbath intentionality, thinking about the way in which we react to the Lord in all things, even our pets, even our worship, even in our parties, the three parties that were mentioned. We let it matter. Okay. Now, as Kayvon said earlier, this is where I wrap it up. If you view the law as legal verbiage, You'll just miss the point. You'll miss the point. If you read through all that law and go, oh, that's a bunch of do's and don'ts, you're going to miss the point. And you'll go, well, God's trying to be a cosmic killjoy. What I can do, what I can't do. But if you view the law as restraint and common grace for a people, what you're going to see is the cross. You'll see the cross. You'll see that growing in the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, shows that we value our relationship with God that impacts not only our eternity, but also our earthly lives. That's the point. Do you value life, or do you just want to be saved? Do you hear me, church? I'm in this whole God thing because I want to be saved. I want to go to heaven. God goes, hold up. Because the way that you worship me for eternity should impact Tuesday at 2 o'clock. That's the point. It impacts all things. Philippians 2, 3 through 10. Here's why it says it gives us a bigger picture of the cross. Because if we understand it's about restraint... We'll model Christ. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. That's the point of the law. Count others as more significant than yourself. Why? Because let each of you look not only to his interests, but also the interests of others, having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that's above every name, so the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." Do these commandments as the people of God to model my son. Do you love Jesus for what he offers or who he is?
is the point. He's humble. And God says this, I know you. I know you people. And I know if I leave it up to you, you're going to implode on one another and you're going to explode on one another. Because I know you. I know what's in your heart. So let me tell you to combat your own heart that is recklessly evil, Jeremiah says. Abide by these things and honor one another as my son is going to model for you. You're not going to miss out. You're actually going to gain and grow. Treat life the exact same way that you'd respond to one another if you were approaching the Lord together at the heavenly altar. Because you are. I think that's why he started with the altar. Like, did anybody else go, starting with the altar seemed a little bizarre to then start talking about donkeys. It makes perfect sense. What he's saying is, I'll sum up all these things by, in every decision in life, treat one another as if you were kneeling together right here. How would that change your decisions? How would that change how you care about the weed eater? How would that change how you care about the person that disagrees with you over the colored jersey that somebody's wearing on a football field? How would that change things? That's the point. Live like you're at the altar before Christ. Let's pray together as the band comes up. Well, Lord, what a text. God, I'm thankful. Number one, I'm just thankful for people who love the text enough that, that they're not here for a 20 minute sermonette and some life hacks, but have labored, genuinely labored today through a pretty bizarre text. Bless them, Lord. And so, Lord, as we've labored through this text, I'm sure it's exposing what's in a lot of our hearts. For the person who this text has said nothing to, Lord Jesus, I pray you rescue them by the Holy Spirit today, and today becomes the day of salvation. Before the rest of us who, who are wrestling with this text and how it applies in a million different ways in our lives, I do pray that it exposes what's in our hearts. And I do pray that we'll see the cross bigger. That you're the one who came and lived out all of this law perfectly because we could not and would not. And Lord Jesus, that we would realize that we're very soon going to be in your presence at your altar with brothers and sisters in Christ. And that that should impact how we live now. So, Lord, teach us how to live out what is on the inside. That we genuinely would live out all I truly have is Christ, and so I'm going to model Him to everybody and in every situation. Lord Jesus, thank You for the law and how it points us to the substitutionary one redeem us now Lord 
teach us how, not just how to be grace hoarders, but also grace givers, even in the midst of truth. Jesus, we love you. It's your name I pray. Amen.